A new United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two to three times the global average. It will be very difficult, not impossible, for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We've got a great show for you today as we dive into glacial lake outburst flooding, the hazards it poses, and how it's connected to anthropogenic climate change. So my friends, once more, into the fray. Welcome back as we have a great show for you this week. While we always deal in scientific fact here on this show, pulled directly from responsibly published and peer-reviewed papers, not opinion, we do like to connect it to you, your experiences in the world, and what's impacting you. Sure, the persistence of polar bears is interesting and incredibly sad, but it's hard for most of us to relate to. However, there are things that either directly impact us or we see directly impact others. So with that in mind, we're going to take today's subject matter from the headlines, but of course, break down the science for you such that you can walk away with a better understanding of how the world is affected by anthropogenic climate change. Now, many of you may remember the tragic flood that occurred on February 7th in the Uttarakhand province of India, rushing down the mountain valleys, destroying two dams, and sadly killing two dozen people. While the news was quick to claim it was caused by glacial retreat, one of many things they got wrong, but more on that in a minute, it does bring up the conversation of one of the hazards as a result of anthropogenic warming, which is referred to as glacial lake outburst floods, or GLOF. So very quickly, I want to touch on the news of the event, and then we'll dig into the science, especially because a phenomenal paper was just published on the subject three days before the tragedy. On a related aside, I've been spending some time on a new social platform called Clubhouse. Conversation for another day, I know. But if you're on it, feel free to connect. Anyway, on a panel I was on, a question was asked, how do you find sources of information you can trust? Great question, by the way. Now, I'm not trying to beat up on the media here, but this tragedy is a prime example of why questions like this get asked all the time, as well as why South of Two Degrees exists in the first place. You see, in the wake of this disaster, BBC News, Al Jazeera, CNN, and USA Today all mentioned a glacier burst in their headlines. Glacier burst. So let me be straight with you. That is not a thing. It doesn't happen. Now, what they meant to imply was that it was the result of a glacier lake outburst flood, but you can't just leave words out and then convince people it's what happened. Science endeavors to be precise, and we should do the same. Doesn't matter if we're writing a paper for publication, having a conversation with friends, or anything in between. Addressing climate change is too important to let our conversations lapse into fictional terms that ultimately undermine our efforts. That's actually the gap that South of Two Degrees endeavors to fill. So, back to the matter at hand. What is a glacial lake outburst flood? How does it impact me? Well, to start, just shy of 2% of the listeners on this show live within an hour of a glacier. No, my mates down in Melbourne don't need to worry about glacial lake outburst floods, but the listeners in Nepal, Peru, Alaska, India, etc., yeah, This can have a direct or indirect impact on you and your community. 
So let's start with the basics and speed up from there. I know we did a crash course on glacier structure back in episode 17 where we discussed the Greenland ice sheets and I would highly recommend you go back and check it out if you haven't already or just want a refresher. If that's you, basics start at about the two minute mark and run through the six minute 30 second mark. Now in the interest of time, I won't repeat all that, but rather we'll expand on the pieces of knowledge we need to understand GLOFs. Now as a glacier moves, it pushes rock and sediment or glacial till out of its way. The glacial till creates formation called a moraine. Now there are four basic types of moraines and those are lateral, medial, superglacial, and terminal. Now the lateral or sides are what most of us think about when we visualize the rock pushed out of the way as a glacier carves a valley through the landscape. A medial is essentially a lateral moraine that is found at the junction of two glaciers. A superglacial moraine is one that sits above the glacier itself and lastly Yet the one we're most interested in today is the terminal moraine. Now many, if not most of us, think of glaciers as these giant rivers of ice majestically calving off into the ocean. Sure, some do, but for the majority, as they move downslope, they push a wall of glacial till in front of it. This is called a terminal moraine. Now when a glacier starts to retreat, it's not like it just takes its ball and goes home. Rather, it leaves the moraine in place, and as the glacier recedes upslope, the cavity left will often fill with glacial melt and form a subglacial lake. They are those sparkling crystal pools that almost glow a teal color, you know, that you thought only existed in a pack of crayons that you see in these photographs that just beckon us to come to the mountains and dive in. And before you go, hold up, Brian, are you going to tell me those majestic bits of nature are bad? I want to clarify. They are incredibly important, not just to photographers, but to billions. Yes, I said billions of people. In fact, in the Hindu Kush region where the most recent flood occurred, which spans eight countries, sustains 240 million hill people, and the river basin it feeds below is depended upon by 1.65 billion people. So no, they aren't inherently bad, rather important beyond imagination, and thus why we need to understand it. If you really want to dive into understanding this region specifically, there's an amazingly detailed 638-page report titled The Hindu Kush Himalayan Assessment, Mountains, Climate Change, Sustainability, and People that was just published and is worth a read if that's your thing. If not, well, that's what I'm here for. So just sit back, grab your coffee, and I'll hit the highlights for you. Now, while glacial lakes and their subsequent river basins are incredibly important, they can also, as you predicted, be a hazard. Now, this occurs when a terminal moraine is breached, either through a collapse from erosion or buildup of pressure, or even at times through what is referred to as overtopping, which is a wave flying over the top as a result of a landslide. This, as you can imagine, can cause catastrophic flooding, especially because the flood is contained within narrow walls of the mountain terrain. But before we dive too deep into the hazard these glacial lake outburst floods pose, let's take a look at how glacial lakes have changed in a world of anthropogenic climate change and circle back around to that in a few minutes. For this part, Let's take a look at a paper published the 31st of August, 2020, titled Rapid Worldwide Growth of Glacial Lakes Since 1990. Now, at the time this was published, no global assessment of glacial lake area or volume had previously been undertaken. The volume of the water stored in these lakes and the temporal trend of glacial lake storage 
had not been known either. Now, the authors took it upon themselves to compile such an incredible task using a data cube built from 254,795 Landsat satellite images from 1990 to 2018 using a normalized difference water index-based model. Now, this allowed them to see how glacial lakes grew in size, volume, and number. And what they found was pretty incredible. In the 1990 to 1999 timeframe, 9,414 glacial lakes covered approximately 5,930 square kilometers of the Earth's surface, which together contained about 105.7 cubic kilometers of water. Now, as of 2015 to 2018, the number of glacial lakes globally had increased to 14,394, a 53% increase over the 1990 to 1999 levels. These had grown in total area by 51% to 8,950 square kilometers, and their estimated volume had increased by 48% to about 156.5 cubic kilometers of water. Now, what's even more interesting is that while the median lake size increased 3%, larger lakes, those in the 95th percentile, increased by 9%. While lakes often grow as glaciers retreat and the terrain permits, the pattern is far from homogeneous. In Greenland, many of the lakes just drained as the glaciers there retreated. Yet the fastest growing lakes expressed as a percentage are in Scandinavia, Iceland, and the Russian Federation, enlarging 131, 142, and 152% respectively. In Patagonia, Glacial lake volume has doubled, as with glacial lakes in Alaska, the Yukon, and northwestern British Columbia. Now, before you go quoting me back to the book, How to Lie with Statistics, I'll be upfront. We aren't talking big volumes here. When you're used to speaking about hundreds of millions of hectares of land or gigatons of carbon, noting as the paper does that over the last quarter century, glacial lake storage increased by about 50.8 cubic kilometers doesn't seem like much of an issue. In fact, the authors found that the water presently stored in mapped glacial lakes is only about 0.1% of the total global lake storage. And further, if you were to empty all those glacial lakes into the ocean, you're talking about 0.43 millimeters of sea level rise. However, that doesn't paint the whole picture here. In fact, according to the paper, quote, Globally, Glacial Lake's annual growth and storage of water captures just 0.95% of the net melting of glaciers outside of Greenland and Antarctica. And including the polar ice sheets, the fraction is approximately 0.35%, end quote. Now, I imagine you saying, okay, Brian, I get the whole sea level rise bit from the ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica, but why are glacial lakes in this glacial lake outburst flooding such a hazard when we're talking about such small numbers. To that, I'd tell you the same thing a realtor would tell you. It's all about location, location, location. And to do that, let's look at an absolutely incredible paper mentioned at the top of the show, published on the 3rd of February, 2021, titled Increased Outburst Flood Hazard from Lake Palkakocha Due to Human-Induced Glacial Retreat. So aside from being a case study on one lake, why is this paper so important? Well, let me preface it like this. There is a three-step process chain scientists are looking at here. 
The first step of this process chain is glacial thinning and retreat, which we've covered before and is well-founded. The second, we just discussed from our first paper, is glacial lake expansion, and we finally have some numbers behind that. It's the third step of increased glacial lake outburst floods of glacial systems specifically as a response to contemporary climate warming that has, up until this point, been a strongly supported hypothesis. However, why I'm so incredibly stoked about this paper, it's okay, you can call me a nerd, I embrace it at this point in my life, is because this study was the first to look at the attribution of human activity on glacial retreat and thus the driver of increased glacial lake outburst floods. To start, the paper broke it into three parts. In its own words, it evaluated, one, the anthropogenic contribution to the observed temperature trends. Two, the role of this trend in the retreat of the Palkajaru Glacier. Three, the role of the glacier's retreat in the reshaping of the valley and the resultant change in global lake outburst floods. For us, though, let's look at why this is a particularly good case study first. The glacial lake, Lake Paucacochu, in the Cordillera Blanca of Peru, is a threat to the city of Juarez, home to 120,000 people. How do we know for sure this is a threat? Well, because a glacial lake outburst flood has occurred there before. In the early morning of the 13th of December, 1941, a landslide or large piece of the glacier fell into the lake, partially breaking the terminal moraine and sending millions of cubic meters of water over the top. The ensuing flood destroyed a third of the city and killed at least 1,800 souls, with some estimates as high as 7,000. So yeah, we know for sure it poses a hazard. Now, to be fair, a lot of engineering has gone into mitigation efforts at Lake Paucacochu and many other subglacial lakes around the world, be it through drainage to avoid pressure buildup, construction of a man-made dam, or even just monitoring systems. Further, not just in Peru, but in Bhutan, Switzerland, Austria, and India, hydroelectric power generation has been added as a benefit within the mitigation efforts. Now, at Lake Paucacochu, due to the efforts that have gone into mitigation, it is unlikely that the moraine will be breached. However, an overtopping wave from an avalanche is very high. Now, determining the glacial lake outburst flood hazard is a simple equation. It's just the product of the probability of an event and the likely event magnitude. While the volume is low compared to many other glacial lakes, it's because of the latter part of that equation that the hazard is so high here. As for the contribution of the observed temperature trends in the region, let's just say that 95% of the observed temperature change can be explained by anthropogenic forcing. Now, if you're worried I'm glossing over something important, just know that it's not complicated, but rather just the dull number crunching and using the HAD-CRUT-4CW dataset to come up with a scaling factor for the Global Warming Index, or GWI, for anomalies relative to 1880, coupled with regressions of the Coupled Model Intercomparison Project Phase 5, or CMIP5, which we've discussed before. See, I knew you'd prefer me just saying 95%. That bit, though, isn't new. Where the paper broke significant ground is in its attribution of the Paucajaru Glacier Retreat to climate change. Now, if you remember back in episode 17, we talked about the mass balance of a glacier in the equilibrium line. The mass balance profile is simply the changes in the accumulation and the ablation, and the equilibrium line is the spot where those match perfectly. Now, two things affect the mass balance of a glacier, temperature and precipitation. And while you likely think precipitation is the defining one of the two, it depends. When you're looking at small timescales, yes, precipitation plays a large role. 
But on century timescales, changes in precipitation are usually pretty small, and thus temperature dominates. This thing can be used to look at changes in the equilibrium line altitude, or ELA. And this is where the findings get fascinating. Between 1941 and 2018, net ablation increased 230%, up to 5.9 meters per year. And this was coupled with a 10% reduction in accumulation above the ELA. This caused the equilibrium line to move up in altitude 235 meters from where it sat in 1941 to where it sits now, which is at 4,950 meters. Now, when the authors used a standard model using 10,000 years of natural climate variability, they found the standard deviation of glacial change to be 235 meters since 1880. Know how much the Paukajeru Glacier has retreated since then? Wait for it. 1,850 meters, and that's a whopping 1,300 meters just since 1941. And this, my friends, when we speak of the rapid rate of change we are seeing in the global climate, is a prime example. The authors go on to note that it's with a greater than 99% high confidence that the extent of retreat of the Palkajaru Glacier cannot be explained by natural variability alone. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't have more than 99% confidence my coffee machine's going to work in the morning. So when I read groundbreaking studies like this one, Well, let's just say it's damn impressive. So back to the glacial flood on the 7th. While the current theory is it was actually just a landslide that melted, yes, landslides generate a lot of heat energy, part of the glacier that it then incorporated into the glacial till, thus not a glacial lake outburst flood per se, it was still tragic. And yet around the world, glacier lake outburst floods do pose a hazard. And thanks to this incredible paper, we now know for sure they are the product of anthropogenic warming. As for if this particular event was caused by climate change, well, the current understanding is not really. But to be fair, it's a highly nuanced conversation, but better save for another day. Because that wraps up another episode of South of Two Degrees. I hope you are as excited as I was to hear about this study. And remember, you can always check out all the links to all the cited information from today on the website, southoftwodegrees.org. And I look forward to having you back again with me next week. And aside from checking out all the latest information on our website, blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, oh, and I guess Clubhouse now, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in the next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, keep it south of two degrees.